Welcome to the Rare Faith Podcast, where the solution to every problem is only an idea away, and where the same activity with just a little more awareness always yields better results. Award-winning, best-selling author, Leslie Householder, brings some of her best information to this inspiring series of life-changing episodes that you won't want to miss. Show notes for this episode can be found at ararekindoffaith.com. Well, it's funny because she said she wanted to meet me one day. Did you forget that we knew each other before? <laughs> Actually, it was uh, in, what, 1992. We were both involved in a network marketing company. We saw each other at all of the events for about five, seven years, something like that. And then uh, it was after that that I, I ended up writing the books, and then she went through that. And so when we met each other, it was like, I know you. It was really funny. This is interesting for me because all the times I get to speak, it's not always to a group of all LDS, or at least if you're here and you're not LDS, you know we are LDS and you're going to put up with things we say. And so I may forget that. I may forget that I can really be me. So if I do, just forgive me. I am devout. <laughs> I think each one of you came for a specific reason. Maybe there was someone on the list that uh, was going to speak today that you thought, okay, that person has something I need to know. And I hope you came with an expectation that the questions you brought with you can be answered here. My story is, I don't think it's all that uncommon. When I was little, all I wanted to be was a mom. That was my one and only dream. And my mother was very adamant about finishing school and getting your degree and all these kinds of things because she didn't get a degree. And she felt like that held her back throughout her life all the times that maybe my dad lost his job or maybe what he was making wasn't enough and she always felt hindered by the fact that she didn't get a degree and so she made sure Leslie you were going to get one I'm like but I just want to be a mom you know so I I did end up getting one but my heart wasn't in career I wasn't looking to create a big paycheck for myself all I knew is that I wanted to grow up get married and have a lot of kids as a stay-at-home mom now, it's one of those things where, you know, a child's dream, children believe they can do anything, don't they? I hope they do, anyway. I hope they are growing up in a home and in a community that encourages them and tells them that you can do anything. You have the seeds of greatness within you. You can do more than you can even imagine. You can become more than you ever thought. And I hope that's what we're doing for our children. And I had that. I had that for my mom. She was good about that. But I grew up, went to college, and I got married young. I was 19 when I got engaged, 20 when I married. My husband and I, we had talked about it before we married, that yeah, when the kids come along, he agreed, I agreed, great, staying home. He got married. <laughs> That's the one, no, we agreed on a lot of other things. <laughs> but uh, when we married, my friend, our friend, actually the one who introduced us, said she was married. She said, you know what, if you just make $1,000 a month between the two of you, you'll be fine. You can afford to be married at $1,000 a month. Do I look like I'm 60 years old right now? It might have worked in 1940, I don't know, you know, but in 1990, it didn't work for just $1,000 a month. And so I ended up in a mindset of, 
how cheaply can we live? How cheap can I find an apartment? What is the cheapest apartment in this? I don't care what it looks like. I'm proud to find the most inexpensive way to live. And it was all with the intention of just being able to be a stay-at-home mom. Well, we were married five months, and you know, we'd, we'd heard that you know, you shouldn't put off having a family until you can afford it. You shouldn't put off having a family until you're out of school and all these things. And we're like, well, we're going to be, we're going to be righteous. We're going to be perfect. We aspired. Okay, I was OCD about being perfect. <laughs> let me, let me share an example. And I think it was because when I was about 12 years old, I had an experience that I did something wrong. And when I realized how wrong it was, I felt cut off from God for the first time in my life. I felt completely disowned in a way. And it, the feeling left such a, a, a hole and a, an agony. It was, it, was, it was what I imagine hell will be like if we lose a connection with God for an eternity. And so I determined right then, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to fix everything that's broken about my life. And I'm going to live perfect. I'm going to make sure I just never make any other mistake ever, ever, ever again. Because I can't, I can't live with this feeling. And so I set out knowing, okay, remember I had this ambition that anything was possible. I felt like perfection was possible too. On my own. And uh, I didn't consciously think I'm doing this on my own, but really that's what I was doing. I was trying to perfect myself. So it was this constant fear of doing anything wrong. And I remember babysitting once, and the little boy, uh, we were in the backyard together, and he took the hose and he started spraying me with it. I picked up the hose, I kinked it so that he couldn't spray me, and a thread snapped in the hose. Oh, I got that sick feeling inside that I just made a mistake. I thought, oh no, how am I going to tell the parents? I gotta make it right. How am I, I can't afford another hose. You know, it didn't create a hole in the hose. You know those hoses that have the, the threads running through them? And I was like, oh, I agonized. So the next day I call them up and I apologize for, for snapping a thread in their hose. And, and I, I remember going to shop for clothing. And I'd, put, I, I'd try something on and I'd get some makeup on the collar or I'd snap a thread. And I oh, agonized. I'm like, oh. Man. So I'd go and apologize to the clerk and say, do I need to buy it? Hoping I didn't have to because I didn't like it, you know. Anyway, this was a very debilitating way to live. And I don't know if any of you relate to it, but part of, part of perfection to me was, you know, once you know who you're going to marry, who you should marry, and, and where, the when is just, well, now, you know. And as for having children, you don't wait for making sure you can afford. And so I'm trying to live this perfect life. And I'm one of these, I was, I think it was, one of these people who also felt like it was my responsibility to make sure everybody else around me was perfect too. <laughs> oh man, talk about making mistakes, right? I didn't realize how much of a mistake I really was making. So um, <laughs> we got married and first baby's on its way. We were making $1,200 between the two of us. So we were doing better than what my friend had said we needed to do. And uh, baby's on the way, and we're trying to figure out, we're looking for a way to have enough money for me to quit work when the baby comes. 
And that's actually what led us to the network marketing company, which led me to meet Celestia, and, and that's where that started. But by the time the baby came, we couldn't afford for me to stop, but we decided I was going to stay home and live by faith. Something is going to work out. Somehow this will work because this is what I need to be doing. I need to be home. And uh, money didn't come. So we started getting into debt because we're going to stay true to this principle of me being home. And by the end of one year, which by the way wasn't a happy, joyful, loving being motherhood year, this was serious stress, OCD on perfection. I, I mean, it was, it was not the picture of the dream I had when I was a child. And, and I did. I started to experience depression in a similar way to what I'd seen my mother experience. And I thought, oh my goodness, where am I going now? You know, it's after one year, my husband lost his job. And I'm thinking, where is the reward for our faith? It's worse now than it was before. Okay, hello. But, you know, I'm like, what about these principles? I'm trying to live by principles. And so I was forced back to work. There was really no other choice at this point. I worked for a temp agency that put me to work um, over at Geneva Steel, if you remember that before it was gone, and I was doing data entry. And I remember dropping my baby off at daycare in the morning when it was dark and picking him up at the end of the day when it was dark. I still remember how much that hurt. And so we... We had some friends who were doing well financially, and things seemed to be going the way that we wanted things to go for us. And they were telling us, you know, you need to come with us to these seminars, because you have no idea how bad you need this. But they'd invite us to come to these seminars that were teaching us about principles of prosperity, things like dream big, you can do it. And I'm like, I've heard that all my life, you know? Things like think positive. I was having a hard time doing that. I was having a really hard time doing that because of what the circumstances were in my life. But we started attending, and actually every time I went, I came away from them feeling like, okay, yeah, there is a way, there is a way, there's got to be a way. And I know we can, we can find it, we can figure this out. And, and really every time I went to these seminars, I felt in my spirit that I was on the right track. But I was really seeking answers that were slow in coming. Or I think I get, oh, I get it, I get it. Just, just think positive. And I'd go home and that would last this long. And then, you know, and so I'd go back to the next one just to give me another pick-me-up. And over a seven-year span, we attended more than 100 seminars. Most of our debt was travel expenses and seminar tickets. And, and we were literally eating ramen and, and these kinds of things. And, and remember how I was so proud of how cheaply I could live? grocery bill came last, and uh, I know what it's like to go home and have the cupboards empty except for condiments. Condiments just never go away as quickly as the rest of it. You know what I'm talking about? There's a, never a shortage of mustard, but you know, what are you going to do with that? So trying to make a long story short, my depression went deep, and uh, some of you have heard this story, it got to the point where I was so on edge about money and literally started to question the existence of God for the first time in my entire life. Haven't I done my best to be perfect? What have I done that I would be so abandoned? What have I done? If I knew what I'd done, I'd fix it, right? So along comes another seminar, and I said, Trevin, 
this is the last one I'm going to. This is it. I can't justify spending any more money on these things if there isn't some kind of permanent change that's going to happen. So I, I went and and actually I was there and the speaker was explaining, this was one of the first seminars we'd been to that wasn't, you can do it, rah, you know, and all this kind of stuff. It was, you know what, this is how life works. It was a presentation of the simple truths connected to prosperity. You know, Doctrine and Covenants tells us that there is a law irrevocably decreed before the foundations of the world that, and I don't know how it goes perfectly, but if we want to obtain a certain blessing, we have to obey the law connected to that blessing. I had erroneously concluded that if I was just good, if I was just a good person, that I would prosper. Yes, be good, but the blessing connected to that isn't prosperity, necessarily. True? Do you know any good people who struggle financially? Do you know not-so-good people who thrive financially? They are not connected to each other, but there are laws connected to prosperity. And one of my fears was that if I learned these laws connected to prosperity, that somehow I would have to sacrifice the other laws I had embraced as true gospel principles. And what I found out was that, no, it all fits. It all fits. And by learning about them and living them, it actually helped me to live my faith, my religion, better than even before. And, you know, consciously I had this concept that if I just had more money, just think of how much more good I could do. I had to wrestle with the money is evil issue. And someone told me that, you know, money isn't evil. You put it on the floor, it's not going to sin. You know, money is not evil. It just makes you more of what you already are. It extends your influence beyond your immediate person. And I think it's one of Satan's greatest lies to keep us in a poverty mentality to be good, that we have to be poor to be good. Because think about it. If all of the people who live by gospel principles are broke and needy, who's going to run the media? Who's going to design the clothing? Who's going to be the influence in the world? And so we need to get over the, the concept that we shouldn't have money that we shouldn't have too much. Well, what's too much? Okay, let me ask you this. Do you have a computer? Do you have a car? Do you have a roof over your head? You're already mafia rich to most of the world. So if you're worried about being too rich, you're already there. So we went to this seminar, and honestly, while I was sitting there, I was stewing over how much money we had spent to get there. And I missed what he said. In fact, I'd been to so many seminars, I knew the routine, you know. And after this guy was done talking, everybody was in a buzz about revelation, whatever. <laughs> and uh, I'd never seen that kind of reaction in a room before to what had been said. And I, I leaned over to my husband and said, what did he say? He just spent two to four hours. And I was asking for a 30-second sum up, you know. And I'm like, oh, oh, this was my last seminar and I missed it. <laughs> and so it had made such an impact on the organization that had brought the speaker in that uh, it was invited back to not just have two to four hours in a conference kind of like this, but he was given three days all to himself to expound and explain what he had kind of touched on before. And I'm like, I am going back, but that's my last one. 
<laughs> That's the last one. And so we, by this time, I went hand in hand, made sure I was near the front. And I'm like, I'm not missing a thing this time. And uh, so he went through the presentation, and he, oh my word, I turned to my husband and said, that's all it is? I can do that. And we went home, and in three months, our income tripled. And I, okay, so I never wanted a career, right? About six months later, the speaker sent out a, an invitation to people who are in his database saying, have you ever thought about teaching what you've learned? Now, what I didn't tell you is that when I was about 12 years old and I went to one of the, it was it used to be Academy for Girls. Anyone remember that? Yeah. Um, it's like EFY just for girls at, at the Y they, they used to have. It was tremendous. And it was two weeks instead of one week. And it, um, powerful. But during that experience, I used to listen to the speakers and I thought, I want to do that when I grow up. I want to be a speaker. And uh, I'd kind of forgotten about that dream. Remember, I didn't want a career, but I wanted to be a speaker. Okay, Sunday school teacher, that's where it is. <laughs> and um, so the invitation came out. Have you ever thought about teaching what you learned? And something just went, how to do this? I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. And by this time, we had, for the first time in our marriage, we had a saving. Okay, we had $1,000 in savings when we first got married, but how quickly that got eaten up, right? Um, in fact, we went down to our, our wedding in Arizona. We went to our wedding praying for enough money at the reception to get home. Oh my gosh. You know, and we, and we drove this beat up old bug, Volkswagen bug, with, in July, no, it was June, that we got married in Arizona, and the bug had no air conditioner, not only that, but the heater was stuck on. <laughs> but we were in love, you know? We were in love, it didn't matter. Look how cheaply we could live. And you know what? Part of me said, one day this is going to make a great story. So here it is. <laughs> um, all right, so I went and I trained to facilitate the programs. And yet, but I had five kids and one on the way, you know, four kids and one on the way at that time, I think. And I'm like, I can't do this. I mean, Celestia was putting this together. Where are you? Wherever she is. She's out there. Well, okay, I'll talk to Celestia because she'll probably watch the video. Was this event a little bit difficult to put on. I can't believe what she has put together here. My first seminar that I did had three people. It was a three-day seminar. I rented a hotel conference room, and I had three people signed up. One was my husband, <laughs> and the other two were my friend's husbands <laughs> for three days. I have it on video. One day, if you're part of my community, you want to make sure you're on my mailing list, one day we'll release that, and you'll get to see so I applaud Celestia for what she's done here. It's tremendous. I'm like jealous. So I thought, I can't keep doing these seminars. They just take the living life out of you. And by the way, before I forget, I do want to mention that after having three kids, it finally sunk in that it's impossible to be perfect. I finally got it. Because no matter what list I promised myself I would accomplish that day, oh, forget it. You know, your moms, you know what I'm talking about. But, but it wasn't just, okay, I can't be perfect. It was a devastation. Like, like I had lost the hope of my best self. That it just was never going to happen. And I remember going in prayer that day. And instead of saying, please forgive me for not being perfect, it was, I'm so sorry, this is all that I have. I'm so sorry. 
And for the first time in years, I finally felt them smiling on me again. Like, oh, finally, now I can work with you. <laughs> now we can get something done. Now you know how much you need me to get yourself even just out of bed. And I have been so grateful for that lesson because everything I do is, I just do my best and I know that you do not need to run faster than you have strength. And that's true. That's true because, just as a quick example, I was pregnant, I was in a depression, I was mad at the world, I hated life, and this was even after I'd learned the principles because I suffered with depression during pregnancies, with hormonal thing or whatever. And it took me five kids to find out that it wasn't just my circumstances, that the world didn't really stink, it was me. <laughs> oh, okay, so it's me, great. Anyway, I had this distinct impression that I needed to put on another event. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm going to teach people how to think positive? Like this? Are you kidding me? And I couldn't put it aside, I had to do it. And so I, okay, I will go through the motions, I will even do it grumpy. And I know probably nobody will come, but I will go through the motions, and if you can make something out of it, do what you want with it. I'm willing. I will do my best. I'll do my best. You know, and I don't care if nobody shows up. That'd be kind of nice. <laughs> that was my biggest event I'd ever had to that point. So do you have to do it all on your own? Do you have to know, if you want to create an income as a stay-at-home mom, do you have to know how it's going to work? Do you even have to know how where it's going to come from? Someone said once, I can't do that. I don't have the money. Well, if you can get the money, well, where's the money going to come from? Here's the answer. Write this down. Where's the money going to come from? Wherever it is now. Now, let me just throw out some ideas for you. And by the way, time is, time is short. I don't have... I would love to spend three days with you and explain the laws that I learned. There's so much on my website that's free. Jackrabbitfactor.com will get you there. You can read the whole story that I wrote around these principles there. It's a download free. Um, Thoughtsalive.com, and that's where you'll find most of everything else. Let me just give you one example of how the principles of prosperity can work. Number one, the money that you think you need isn't necessarily the money you need. And, and what I mean by that is, for example, I had been taught to picture what I wanted. Let me explain kind of what happened, how I, um, how I know this works. Uh, at one point, I was in such a depression. We lived in a little itty-bitty apartment. And I came outside and found that the neighborhood had broken my broom in half. And it was the last straw. I'm like, you mean I can't even clean my kitchen now? And I snapped and I called the police on him. This is how I was solving my problems, all right? And people wondered why nobody wanted to join my business, right? <laughs> well, I, I decided, you know what? I'm going to go to bed. If I can't have life the way I want it, and if all of my efforts thus far haven't worked, I'm just going to go to bed, I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm going to pretend like I have the life I want. I'm just checking out. Kids can find their own food. They were two and four. 
Um, and by the way, there's all my kids are really good at finding their own food, even now. Um, they're going to live. They're going to be fine. Uh, they even eat condiments. <laughs> uh, those little pack packets of ketchup are so exciting to them. They just, can I have one? Anyway, um, so I I went there and I closed my eyes and you know what I was thinking? I remembered all the speakers that had said, "Picture what you want, dream big," and I thought, "Fine, I will." You know, I'll show them. They've got all my money. I went to their seminar. And uh, so I laid there, closed my eyes, and I imagined myself in a home of my own. I imagined a place where the kids could run around inside the house and go this way and come out that way. Our apartment didn't have, it was all dead ends. You know, and my mom had taught me that that's very important when you're raising kids to have a runaround. How many of you know that? Yeah. That was the one thing we always looked for whenever we were shopping for houses and stuff. So I pictured this runaround, and not, I wasn't just picturing a floor plan, I pictured myself coming home to it, opening the door, kids running ahead of me, and, and just how, I, I tried to wonder, what would that feel like? Write that down. Answer the question, what would it feel like if things were the way you really wanted them to be? If you can answer that question, you've got the key here, because a year later, we were living that experience. And I didn't even know what I had done. What I found out two years later when I went to that seminar was that what I had done that day, I pictured what I wanted, and I'm talking about literally putting it on the screen of your mind consciously and letting it sit there longer than a half a second. Because how many of you know, maybe it's a car that starts. Can you picture a car that starts with paint, new paint? Picture one. All right, how long did that stay on the screen of your mind? It's there, it's gone, you're on to other things. We're busy, life is fast. But it's stopping long enough to put an image on the screen of your mind and let it sit there long enough to help you answer the question, what would it feel like if I came home and had that car, right? It just whatever the experience is. And I'm, believe me, I am not preaching, now let's go get the Ferrari or whatever. I am a... Natural living homeschooler mom. Okay, I'm not so good at the natural living part. I, I'm still learning what that is. I was supposed, I was going to bring something for the speaker's luncheon today, and Celeste said, "Remember, we're a natural living." I'm like, "Is yogurt? Is yogurt plate natural living?" I'm not sure. I'm still learning. Um, but the second thing was to feel the emotion that you expect to feel. Now, if if that's the only thing that you get from this. Know this, that when you do that, things in your world around you make a shift. Circumstances begin to line up for you. And when you start thinking, oh, that'll never happen, you start to dissipate. And the thing is, is there's always that, that trial of your faith to see how long can you believe that this is going to work out for you. Because as long as you're believing, it's starting to fall into place. The minute you begin to doubt, it starts to go away. And yet, you don't see evidence that it's coming together, and so it's so easy to doubt. Are there ways to make money from home as a stay-at-home mom to help the family finances? Um, okay, here's one. There's a family that live in the Midwest, and they kept having tumbleweeds running through their property. 
I think it started as a joke. I'm not sure. From what I heard, the mom decided she wanted to learn how to create a website. And so for fun, she decided to do tumbleweeds for sale. They make a lot of money. They sell tumbleweeds to movies, to decorators. Look it up. Tumbleweed for sale. You'll find it. It's hysterical. So the point I want to make is that whatever you think you need to do to make money, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. There are ways to capitalize on the resources you already have. I know one guy, he created a document that described how to salsa dance. I think he makes about 300000 a year on the internet. Okay, so I, I just want you to open your mind. I just want you to know that opportunities and ideas are available for you to accomplish what you want to accomplish as a family in such a way that it does not have to violate any of your values. And I tell you, when your kids start seeing you become a producer, look up, it, okay, here's another conflict I had, is that, well, I'm not supposed to work, I'm just supposed to raise my kids. And um, then I read the scripture, and I don't have it memorized, so look this one up, the one that says about a virtuous woman, her price is above rubies. Read all the things that that woman does. A virtuous woman, she's considering real estate. She's buying and selling things in the market. She's doing all these things. And when I read that, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to go to hell if I make a little money for the family. All right, I was so worried about that. <laughs> but um, So here's how to tune into those new ideas. If you imagine a radio in this room, and I turn it on, and I hear music, if it's tuned into a certain station, and I hear music. Did the radio create the music? No. Okay. Did it suck the music into the room? No. Did it attract the music? Where was the music? Is there music in this room right now that we can't hear through the radio waves? Absolutely. The radio just makes it audible. True? And depending on what station it's on, you're going to get certain music or certain information. Well, I think of myself like a radio, and where I'm solving my problems on a certain level of thinking. I didn't tell you this, but about a year later, I came home and found that someone had broken into my house. Okay, it wasn't broken into, it wasn't locked, but they had been in my house, and my cookie dough had been stolen. It was crumbled out the front door. I called the police on the five-year-old who stole my cookie dough. All right, so I'm still solving my problems at the same level of thinking. And this was after we moved to the home. You know why I was still thinking at that level? Because I had done some things in the way I was thinking to change our circumstances. We ended up in the home that I had imagined, but I didn't know what I had done, so I became broke at a higher level. Does anybody know how that goes? <laughs> When things improve in your life and you find yourself just as stuck feeling as you did when you were here, it's because you tapped into the right principles of prosperity and didn't even know it. So the cool thing is, is that now we can know what they are and do it on purpose. It's, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me what, what I believe is a part of our God-given abilities to become co-creator with God in creating the life 
that is possible for us. Aren't we here to become all that we can be? It's learning how to create. Think about this. You know that other scripture um, that says, whatever principles and intelligence we attain in this life will be so much to our advantage in the life to come. If we can learn how to be co-creators with God that through our faith can manifest whatever we want here in this life, using our thoughts and our faith and learning to instead pray for what we want all the while picturing the disaster that will happen if we don't get what we're praying for, okay, that doesn't work. Pray for what you want and picture it. He's not asking much. Picture it. Feel grateful for it now. Gratitude is one of the most powerful, powerful ways to be connected with this, with this power of creation that God has given us. Try that. Try picturing what you want and feeling the gratitude for it as if you already have it because, you know, in the eternal scheme of things, there is no time and space. All things are before God at the same time. It's just linear to us here on earth, but you can be grateful for something before it's yours as if it's yours. That's true faith. That's the true faith. So I know it works. It works. It's not in conflict to anything that I've ever been taught in the church. And with the radio, if you want, if the broadcast you're getting, the ideas that your mind kind of stays on is that when things go wrong, call the cops, you know. That's my broadcast at the time. In order for me to tap into the thought that would solve the problems in our family, in order to tap into that inspiration, I had to tune my dial to a better frequency. The solutions to every one of our problems exist. They're just an idea away. Whatever challenge you're facing, do you believe that the solution to that problem could literally be just one idea away? Where do you get that idea? You pray for the idea, all the while picturing the disaster that you're trying to overcome. You're wondering why you're not getting answers to the prayers. Well, try it this way. You tune yourself into a higher frequency of thought. We're approaching God's thoughts is what we're trying to do. Einstein, he says, I want to know God's thoughts. The rest are details. So we tune ourselves to a higher frequency by picturing the way we want things to look about our life and allowing ourselves to feel it as though we already have. Because on a subconscious level, our subconscious mind cannot tell the difference between an experience that is real or imagined. And it's our subconscious mind that's causing the results in our life to be the way they are. We might consciously decide, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. And subconsciously, it's saying, but I'm safe here. So you might manipulate things to be a certain way for a time, but your subconscious mind is saying, it's my job to keep your heart beating, to keep you breathing through the night, and to keep you safe. And you're safer here. <laughs> so this is kind of the, the general idea of it all. And the emotion that I'm talking about that, that starts the creative process, the emotion is, is the key piece of it. And it doesn't matter if it's good emotion or negative emotion. It's whatever's strongest. So, watch what you're emotional about. Thank you.
This concludes today's episode of the Rare Faith Podcast. You've been listening to Leslie Householder, author of The Jackrabbit Factor, Portal to Genius, and Hidden Treasures, Heaven's Astonishing Help with Your Money Matters. All three books can be downloaded free at a rarekindoffaith.com. So tell your friends and join Leslie again next time as she goes even deeper into the principles that will help you change your life.